Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Let us pause. Let us pray. Let us posture our hearts to receive from God and also posture our lives to give to those around us today. Let's pray. Lord, this is an opportunity that we have been invited into by you, by your spirit. And Lord, we want to respond and be a contribution to the work that you are doing here at Genesis and to all the people in our lives. God, I pray that you would do a work within each of us and collectively through all of us. May our hearts be receptive. May our imaginations be stirred of how we can live in such a way that brings honor to you. Bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, good morning, everybody. I'm Jordan, if you don't know. I'm going to do some announcements for the upcoming events this week. But first, um, I think last week on Tuesday, the Art for Artists went really well. We had some new people come and bring some really nice art, so... um, That's every second Tuesday. If you're interested in that, please come down and bring and share your art. Whatever your art is, we're not here to tell you what is and what isn't, but bring it and come share. We'd love to see it. Um, Wednesday, take two was great. I don't know if you guys were watching online, but we had some technical difficulties and the audio went out. But uh, the live studio audience conversation was really good, and I think um, it's nice that the people are coming out and starting to talk. So if you want to be a part of that conversation, please come through. We're having it again this week and every week. 6.30 to kind of get here, have some snacks and talk, and then we start the kind of the talk show part at 7 o'clock. And then this Friday we had the night sesh, this last Friday, which was really cool because I think a lot of new people came through and we were able to have some good conversations and meet different people and see what the community is working on. It's kind of a night for not necessarily art, but if you want to bring your art, if you want to bring some new business you're trying to start, if you want to bring your taxes, it's a place to come and be productive and do work around other productive people. Um, so that was really nice, and uh, we hope you're doing that again. But uh, this week, on Tuesday at 7 o'clock in this room, the Genesis Building, we're having PACT, which is a philosophy and critical thinking workshop on reframing. So um, the idea is sometimes we look at something a certain way, and that really has something a lot to do with how we deal with the thing. But by reframing it, by putting it in a different light, um, not necessarily am I forcing people to make different decisions, but we see things different ways so it can help us 
deal with it different ways or understand different people. And so it's a conversation about that idea. So you guys are all welcome to come uh, 7 o'clock on this Tuesday and then Wednesday for the topic that we're talking about today. Um, we have take two. So please come down to that if you want to have conversation about it afterwards. Cool. Thank you, guys. This morning, we are going to continue in probably the most difficult thing that Jesus has asked of us. And I want to say that up front because it is going to strike at us in some way, and we need to allow that to affect us in such a way that it brings about change. And so as we hear the words of Jesus this morning, let's be aware of how it affects us and let us lean into how we are supposed to respond. Brian's going to come up and share the passage with us this morning. Good morning. We are reading out of Matthew 5, 43 through 48, out of the English Standard Version. And it's subtitled, Love Your Enemies, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know many of us have heard those verses many times. I don't know about you, but every time I hear them, there's something in them that strikes me, something in them that just well, what about, I have questions. I, I want to know, what does he mean by this? And what, what do you mean by enemies? And what do you mean by perfects? And what, what are you trying to communicate to me? As we've been dealing in this series, The Politics of Jesus, we have seen that he is putting this stark contrast of how we live in this world, how we conduct ourselves, and how we have authority compared to how God does. And that's the comparison. The kingdom of God is not like the politics of man. It's neither left nor right nor religious. It has in its core the interest of others. And so as he starts this and he says to love our enemies, remember we've been looking at how there is a heavy command and there is a light command, right? It's you will not commit murder. That's the heavy command, but you should not be angry with your brother without cause. That was a lighter command, but Jesus said it's connected. If you don't see the importance of the heart, it will lead to the murder. Or he says, do not lust, do not commit adultery, 
right? These things are, are seeming like, well, what, what does this have to do one, with one another? Well, divorce and, and coveting, they are connected. All these things are a matter of the heart that shows up in our lives. And, and today, it's similar. He, he starts off with the heavy commandment, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor. And that's clearly seen from Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the question then is, where does this idea of hate your enemy come in, right? Because there is nowhere that I know of in scripture where we are told to hate our enemy. Now, there are some places, you know, where it talks about, um, you know, like the Psalms will say, you know, Lord, I, I, I hate those who hate you, those kinds of things. But it's not a command to go out and hate your neighbor. But it is a sentiment at the time of Jesus that was questioned, how do we love our neighbor and who is our neighbor? One of my favorite people just came in the room. Two of them, I should say, right? Yeah, better correct that before I get in trouble. I met my wife. What are you guys talking about? Yeah. Who's our neighbor? And this was the question that was present, right? Do I have to consider the Roman soldier my neighbor? What about the tax collector? Is that my neighbor? What about the Samaritan? What about these people who are against what we stand for? Are, are they considered my neighbor? And how far does this idea of neighbor extend? To who does it extend? And again, the context around Leviticus passage is something that they would wrestle with. Even in that passage, it says, do not bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And so there was this idea, well, my neighbor is the sons of my own people. So it was very nationalistic. In verse 15 of Leviticus 19, it says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. So there is again that word, your people. And so it was a consensus at this time that the neighbor had to do with nationality. It is the people who belong to Israel. That is our neighbor. That's the ones who they would hold on to. And so some of the rabbis believe that this only referred to the fellow Israelites. And when David would say, do I not hate those who hate you? That was justification to hate people who were not part of their nationalism. I hate them because they are not a part of us and they had a passage in scripture that they could use to support that. And so this is the water, right, that Jesus is swimming in at the time. This is the context that he is trying to confront. And he's challenging their interpretation that your neighbor is just your fellow Israelite. He pushes into it. 
And when he says, I say to you, love your enemies, now it's plural. So it's not just one person. It seems to be a whole group. It seems to be inclusive, a lot of people. And when he says to love your enemies, it's a present imperative, which means it's an ongoing posture, not a one-time deal. You have this attitude of, I am caring constantly, loving these people. Which again, for me, opens the door to all kinds of questions. Wait a second, because now I have to start asking, what about who are my enemies? And what does that have to do with me? What about the Nazis, right? What, what about you know the Taliban or Al-Qaeda? Or, or fill in the blanks wherever you are in the world, whoever you see as an enemy. This is radical. What it's asking us to do is just, it defies my logic in so many ways. And this has got to be probably the most radical teaching of Jesus. There is nothing that I know of found in the Torah that tells us that we are to love our enemies. There are Proverbs that say you're to do good to the stranger and the foreigner. And there is one area in Scripture, the Hebrew Scripture, that I think alludes to this that we're going to look at later, where I think God is tipping his hat to what he actually cares about. And we see that Jesus is expanding the understanding of neighbor much further than they had imagined. He did that in the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan was actually the neighbor who was showing kindness to the Jew. But he wasn't in their family. To get to the bottom or the heart of this, I think we need to understand a few things. One of the things we need to understand is this word love, because it's the word agape, and many of us have heard that word in the Greek, and we have an idea of what it means, but the meaning is crucial, right? Because to us, when we love something, it has to do with emotion. It has to do with feeling, at least most of the time, but really to understand this, it is a word that does not mean have emotional sentiment for It doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean that you have to want to be nice to them. The word agape has nothing to do with how you feel, but everything to do with how you act. Now, why is that important? Well, I don't have a lot of control of how I feel sometimes, right? Guy cuts me off. Someone says something mean or rude to me. How I feel usually just happens at that moment. It's sparked by an incident. And what I feel isn't warm and fuzzy for those people, right? So if this has to do with emotion, love, feel nice for the person who does this to you. Man, I just not there. But that's not what it's talking about. It has nothing to do with how you feel, but how you act. To love your enemies is to will their good and not to will their harm. So I can be aggravated with someone. I could have hard feelings towards someone and still will their good. I can do that with myself, right? There's times where I just do something and I feel like, man, Sam, you idiot. 
but I always want my good. I always want to be better, right? I, I, I always want to move forward. I mean, even when people are in places of addiction and struggling with things, a lot of times they'll come to the place where they say, I don't like who I am, and so I want to be better, and so I'm going to go to rehab, or I'm going to step into this, because really what I want, even though I don't like who I am, is I want what is good for me. And we can do that towards other people, even people that anger us, even people that we dislike, even people who are our enemies. We can still want what is good for them, even while we are feeling the emotions that we do about the circumstances and for them. And remember, this is dealing in a social context. This isn't just a blanket statement. This is how you treat any person who does a crime or if someone breaks into your house, you have to love them and just give them your wallet. And here, you know, here's my dog. You can take them too, I guess. You know, it's not saying that you have to just lie over and, and let them walk all over you. But it is saying that you do want what is best for them and you don't want harm for them. Even if you have to defend a situation or yourself, you're not doing it because this is what you want. You're doing everything you can to help their lives move forward. Later on, Jesus would say things like, I tell you that if any man loves his father, mother, sister, brother more than me, it's not worthy for the kingdom that you're to hate your parents. Now, what does he mean? He's not talking about emotion. Again, he's talking in hyperbole. He's trying to help us understand the commitment that God is wanting of our lives. And thankfully, Jesus gives us, again, examples of what this looks like right? Love your enemy. And then he says, and pray for those who persecute you. And essentially, these are the same thing. It's a parallelism, it's called, right? You love your enemy and you pray for those who persecute you. This is how you love your enemy. You pray for them because they're the ones who are persecuting you. That's your enemy. And this is your response to your enemy. Pray for them. You see, that's a matter of the will, I can pray for you even if I'm mad at you. I can pray for you even if I don't like you. Even if I'm hurt by you. I can choose to want what is good and ask God to do what is good for you. And the enemy is defined here as those who persecute you. Who is your neighbor? everyone. It's not just a group of people, it's everyone. And this is a deliberate refusal to let this poison affect our souls beyond whatever the initial wound is. Right? Someone persecutes me. Someone hurts me. That happens. That's affected me. But I'm not going to let that poison go any deeper than that initial wound, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring healing in prayer for them. 
The healing is for me. That we hope will overflow to them. But that initial wound is still there. It doesn't just disappear. We don't just pretend everything's okay. Oh, I just love you. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) But what we don't want is to stuff it down, pretend it didn't happen, ignore those things, and allow it to just poison our souls. How do we deal with it? We pray for them. And maybe we even pray for ourselves. We deal with it in a kingdom way. And so he would say in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Why do we react this way? So that we can look like our father. Remember, a a, a father or the son of your father, especially in this culture, was a big deal. It, It carried with it the name. It carried with it the prestige. You are a a son of Abraham, right? The sons of thunder, you know, the ones who are following Jesus. Your name has to do with who you are and who you belong to. And so you represent your family and your family's characteristics fall into you. And so if we want to look like our father in heaven, this is how we respond to those who persecute us those who would hurt us, those who would afflict us in some way, if we want to respond in a way that looks like our Father, we do it this way. Not by reciprocating evil for evil, but evil dies there and we replace it with good. Sons of your Father. Remember in chapter 5, Early on, when he was going through the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers look like God. Those who love their enemies look like God. The question is now, do I look like my Father in heaven? Do I look like him or do I look like something else? Is the bitterness of what's happened to me showing up instead of making peace, instead of praying, instead of showing that I actually care about them in whatever way that looks like? And we'll talk about that a little bit more, right? Boiling this down, Jesus is telling us that God is like loving your enemies, You want to know what God is like? It's like loving your enemies. Self-sacrifice for the good of your enemies is what God is like. We are most like God when we do the same. 1 John talks all about this. right? How can you love God who you've not seen and not love your brother who you've seen? If you love them, you love him. God is love. It's this connection from all these things. Now, the good of your enemies, that's a deep well. That's not just, a, a again, something that we can just throw out lightly. Well, I just want good for you. Well, good for you could mean a lot of things. Good for you could mean discipline. 
right? Good for you could mean that I don't trust you because you can't be trusted and you need to understand that. Good for them can look like accountability. Good for them can look like grace. And so, again, this is a a broad picture. We can't just pinpoint it to this is, we always just talk nice to people. We always just forgive them. Well, we forgive them, but it doesn't mean we trust them. It doesn't mean we hold them, don't hold them accountable for what they've done. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be consequences to action. Sometimes that's the best thing for us, right? It's been the best thing for me in my life. I've had to deal with the stuff happening to me, and that's been good for me. Sometimes that's necessary. When, how, what's the, the boundaries? That's the tough part, right? That's the dance of life. That, that's what we're working through. But what is my intent? What is my desire? I really want them to know how much they hurt me. I want everyone to know how much they hurt me. You see this scar? That's from you. I forgive you, but it hurt. Do I, is that wanting the best for them? Or is that me just trying to help them understand my wound? Is that allowing the poison to to simmer in my life and stew? Right? Because it's so subtle. Right? I I mean, it's like that food. You know, when you you cook some food and and you've got it in the crock pot and and it's there for a long period of time, it's like the longer you leave it, the, the better it simmers and it all becomes flavorful. Sometimes that happens in our lives where these things start to simmer and we don't even realize how much it's affecting us. It's just poisoning our heart and our mind and our attitude towards people because we're not loving them. We're not wanting what's best for them. We are so hurt that we don't see that. It's just simmering. Loving your enemy doesn't mean trusting them, saying yes to them, giving in to whatever they want. Sometimes it's standing your ground and doing what is best in the middle of difficult situations. I've shared before being with someone who I love who was on the street and homeless and struggling with addiction, and they asked me for money, and I said, no, I will not help you to stay where you are, but I will help you if you want to get better. And it's easy when it's somebody we love and somebody we care to have that attitude. It's harder when it's not someone who we care that much about, when it's someone who's offended us and we're not that close. Then it's easy to say, you know, no, I'm not giving you anything. Forget you. You hurt me. Now you need to reap the consequences. Or do I want what is going to be actually good for them? The character of the Christian God is seen in Jesus dying on the cross for others. This is what it is to be Christ-like. This is how we overcome evil. God shows his love in the availability of good all around. He says he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good 
and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Sun, rain, laughter, food, sex, all these things are available to everyone. God isn't just saying, just for you people, because you belong to me. No, he makes all these good things available for everyone, regardless of their behavior. He is lavishing goodness on everybody always. And so we are to be indiscriminate in our love, just as God is with the weather. We are to want what is good for my children, for my grandchildren, and for everyone I encounter. I am to want what is good for them, even if I don't have the emotional connection that I do with some. There's a unique example of this found in the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Jonah. And it's important to understand that if we really value scripture, then what we want to do is consider what the scripture is actually saying. In other words, if I value the scripture, then I want to value the style of writing that it is. I want to value its historical setting. Is this book meant to be historical or is this book meant to be satire? Because it doesn't value the scripture if I try to put it in a category of history if it was not meant to be in that category. And there is a lot of things that take place in the book of Jonah that really deals with satire. And it seems so obvious to me now, even though for years it was just, no, this is a history book. This is all about history. But we have to understand there's a lot of things going on here, right? Everything that happens is just larger than life, right? There was a great storm, and a great wind, and a great fish, and going to the great city of Nineveh, right? Everything is just like bigger than life. It's just huge, and it's large, right? And in chapter one, the, the ship was threatening to break up. Really? The ship was threatening? How does a ship threaten something? It was threatening. In chapter two, in the first verse, the great fish is used in the male form. In verse two, it's used in the female. And so we have (laughs) the male and then we have the female and it happens right after Jonah repents. And it's almost like he's giving birth and so the gender of the fish changes to coincide with the story. I don't think the fish changed but I think a point is trying to be made. There is the king of a city. Cities didn't have kings. Nations had kings. But this city had a king. We even see that the animals repented. They wore sackcloth and ashes. The animals? Okay, What's the point? The point is all these things are happening to tell us what kind of story it is. And, And if we just focus on history, we can lose the intention. The city of Nineveh 
and all that's happening there and what the message is. Now, there's another book in the Hebrew scriptures, Nahum, and Nahum lived at the time of the fall of the Syrians in Nineveh, and historically speaking, he is right. He is there at the time. Nineveh fell to the Babylonians in about 612 BCE, and as all prophets do, Nahum interpreted the event as an act of God. Jonah, however, has written this about 100 years later, after the exile and the return from Babylonia about 538 BCE. And this author, who we don't know who it is, we don't have the name, doesn't seem to be in the least bit interested in recording the history. Nahum blasts the Assyrians saying they got what they deserved. Jonah doesn't do so. Why? Why is the writer forcing us to reimagine things? Because the Assyrians were terrible and barbaric people. And we have a lot of documentation of how evil they were and how horrible they treated people. And Nahum talks all about that, and he's all for their judgment. And then comes Jonah looking back and tells us a little different story. Isn't it interesting when you look back how you see things different, right? We were talking about this on uh, Wednesday at Take Two. We were talking about how all the things we did raising our children, and we think, oh, God, forgive me, right? It's like I just did not know what I was doing. And looking back, we have this insight into things. It's so interesting to look back. And it's so funny how little I think I learn sometimes. You know, if I were to travel back in history, I don't think I would change anything. I mean, really, right? If I were to go back, you know, like 100 years and, and people are talking on old phones and I'd go up to someone and say, you know, one day they're going to have cell phones and you'll be able to just talk to anyone anywhere. And they'd say, oh, really? How do you do that? I'd say, I don't know. I don't know. They just, I think it has to do like satellites or towers. Satellites, what's that? Oh man, I shouldn't have said that, right? I was like, well, there's things that orbit. What's orbit? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know how any of this works, right? I mean, it's just one of these things where I couldn't help. I'd be no good. And then they'd say, well, you're from the future. Who's our next president? I'd be, oh, crap. <laughs> I knew I should have studied that, right? I just, I'd probably be worse off if I were to go back in history than I am here today. Sometimes I feel that way in these things, right? You just go back. It's like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? How could I have been so dense? Now, Jonah is reimagining how things could have been. The writer of Jonah wants us to see things in a different lens, even as Jordan was talking about. We're going to frame it a little differently here. Jonah's last words in the book are, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. That's his last words. The Lord's last words to Jonah are, should I have not concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. 
Jonah has a thing about the animals. They keep showing up. And so what we're seeing here in the words of the Lord in this book is shouldn't I care about these people? And there's something about calamity that connects us to humanity. Something about looking back and seeing what happened to a nation and all those people and how it affected them. And you having gone through something similar connects you to that and say, you know what, I know what it's like. And you know what, not every Assyrian was a bad person. You know, whatever party you're at or in, not every Democrat is a bad person. Not every Republican is a bad person. And what we tend to do is take away the humanity and we vilify it so that we could put a name on the person, right? And it's happened throughout history. That's how genocide takes place is the first thing we do is take away the humanity and we give them names, that take away that so that we can justify our hatred for them. But something about calamity connects us to humanity. When I know what it's like to hurt, I can see it when it happens to someone else. And now I start to think a little bit differently. And the book of Jonah now relates in a way that Nahum couldn't. It sees their once enemies, now that they are not a threat, as people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And so Jesus would say in verse 46 of Matthew 5, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You're no different if you act just like them. The kingdom of God deals with humanity, not just your party, not just your ethnicity, not just your social economic group. It deals with everybody. And he says, and he concludes, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, great, right? I hear that and I'm just like, oh man, that ain't ever gonna happen But we need to understand what he's saying. The idea of perfect is mature, it's complete. It's not being morally without fault. And it's important because he's not telling us that, he's telling us to love the way God loves. When we choose not to bring retribution to satisfy our anger, but choose by our will to want and to do good, even by praying, then we look like our Father God. Then is our love being made perfect, being made mature, being complete. Jesus isn't telling us how to behave as much as he's embodying how we are to reflect the kingdom of God. And it's not about how we feel. It's about our will saying yes to the God impulse and no to the reciprocal impulse. 
so that it's not about me because I now belong to something more. And so I don't have to defend myself. I stand with the one who is my defense. Peter said of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he was threatened and insulted, he did not retaliate, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Do I trust that God will judge justly? And if I do, can I stand with him in how he wants me to treat others, which is to love my enemies and to pray for those who do all kinds of things against me? Because by doing this, I look like my father who is in heaven, who causes the rain to fall on everybody, who allows the sun to shine on us all. I want to look like that. Because I know what it's like to not look like that. I've done it too many times. And there's something life-giving when we are standing with God compared to standing with Jonah. And Jonah, in all his bitterness, all he could say is, I wish I was dead. This is awful. And God says, I care about everybody. That should be our heart. And getting there, people, that's our challenge. But we're not doing it alone. We've got God helping us, Jesus' words instructing us, and his spirit giving us life. You know, the people who are sitting there hearing these things from Jesus, I cannot imagine how it was blowing their minds. They were just like, oh man, this changes everything. This is turning our world upside down. I don't think any of them were thinking, you know what? All I got to do is go to church on Sunday. I'm going to say a prayer, answer an altar call, and everything's good. No, this is disrupting life at the core. This is challenging them to live completely different. No one went away from these words saying, huh, no, no problem. I feel so much better about myself. Right? Everyone left saying, oh man, what have we gotten ourselves into? But it's good. It's a good thing. And when we're taken into the arms of God, it's a good thing. Last night, my grandson Judah over there fell asleep in our bed. And when it was time to put him in his own bed, I got him, picked him up, and he kind of stirred. You know, he's all asleep. Like, hey, buddy, I'm just going to go put you in your bed, okay? And he went like this. He gave me a thumbs up. And he just kept his thumb up the whole way, traveling to his bed. He was like, this is good. 
this is good. Whatever you're going through, following in the footsteps of your father, this is good. This is good. Even if it's difficult, this is good. Let's pray. Father, there is so much work that needs to be done in my life. And I'm so grateful for this perspective of seeing how you see things and helping me to reevaluate how maybe I see things. And Lord, there is a lot of nuance here. There is no clear cut, this is how you do it, period. But we can start with some things like praying for those who have caused us harm. And Lord, right now, as I've been talking, maybe someone has come into the mind of those who are here hearing my words, a, a name who has wronged them, a person who has caused injury. Lord, right now, we are going to just take a moment and as we are invited by you in these passages, I'm inviting all of us now to pray for these people that came to our minds. So I want you guys to take a moment and whoever maybe has come to your mind, I want you to pray for them. Pray that God would give them blessing, the blessing of his presence. That God would help them to be poor in spirit to be meek, to help them to be gentle and kind. That they would become peacemakers. That they too would look like their Father in heaven. And as you pray for them, may you understand that your Father is watching over you at those times when you needed just that. That he still brings rain and sun and good things because he loves you. And he loves them. Father, may our hearts be lifted by your character. May you forgive us our debts and trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For it's your kingdom. It's your will that has come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple other things, guys, to remind you. Um, we are collecting money for the Bibles in Haiti. I think we have about $2,700 um, for those Bibles. So if you'd like to contribute towards that, you can go to our website and give there. Let us know if you want to give towards the Bibles. $10 buys a Bible in Creole, their language, that we're going to give to a congregation there in Haiti. As well as just the things that we are trying to do here uh, to keep things going, I want to let you guys know about that. Um, I'll be sticking around afterwards. If you guys have questions, I'd love to talk a little bit more about some of the things I mentioned. 
I threw a lot out there. Um, some stuff was a little bit there to spark some interest and in conversation, so I hope it did. Um, and again, Wednesday, we'll be doing this again, too. We'll be talking. It was great last Wednesday. We have more people coming out, having a discussion about some of these things. There's a lot to talk about here, guys. I have questions, so I hope you guys do, too. But anyway, I'm available here afterwards and again Wednesday. Um, may the Lord help you to be more like your Father in heaven. That you would learn how to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. May your light be seen by the choices you make and how you choose to respond. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Love you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.